Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series we're calling Illuminate. And I want to start off by telling you a story. Uh, the first year that Jenny and I were married, we only had one year without kids. Uh, I decided that it would be a good idea to go on an overnight hiking trip by myself. Okay, I do not recommend doing that. Any outdoorsman would say that's a bad idea. That was mistake number one. But uh, I've always liked the mountains. I've always liked the outdoors. I've always liked hiking. And so uh, I decided that I was going to go to Pisgah National Forest uh, for this trip. It's my favorite place on the earth. If you're joining us online, it's like in the mountains of North Carolina. Uh, it's actually where Jenny and I got engaged at the very romantic outlook called Graveyard Fields. Uh, but uh, we, I, so I went hiking there. And on this trip, I decided to do something I'd never done before, which was back country hiking. Mistake number two, if you don't know what backcountry hiking is, there's not a whole lot of trail signs. Uh, you see the trail head, but there's not a lot of blazes like white or blue marks on trees. You just kind of have to read your map and be good with the compass. So uh, I pull up about lunchtime and uh, I'm planning on just like a good five or six hour hike to this outlook up in the mountains and then sleep there at, in a shelter and then come back. And uh, it starts pouring down rain when I, pour in, when I pull into the parking lot. And uh, I realized that I had forgotten my compass. Okay, so that's mistake number three. You see where this is going, but I'm like, I'm a man. I can handle this. I've been hiking before. So I get to the trailhead and realize I'm in for a treat because the trail is like an inch wide little path and the grass is kind of growing over it and the trees are like all in your face. But I'm like, this is manly. This is going to be awesome. So I start hiking in the rain. Now I get about three hours into it and I realize the trail hasn't exactly gone up at all. Like it's just kind of been going down. And I'm like, okay, well, the next mile, I'm sure it's going to turn up and I'm going to be able to go to this outlook. So I get another mile into it. And sure enough, it has not gone up at all. It's still going down. In fact, it's getting rather steep. And in my mind, I'm like, this doesn't make sense because I'm going west. Like I kind of see the sun. So anytime you walk away from the beach, it's got to eventually go up, right? It just goes up until Wyoming. That's what I think. So I keep walking and no, it does not go up. In fact, it gets really, really steep going down. And about dinner time, I start to hear this noise. And it's, it's the sound of mighty rushing water. <laughs> and come to find out, I had not been following a trail, but I've been following like a, a creek path, like a, a drainage ditch, basically, for about five hours. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. But the trail's too steep to go back up. So I just say, all right, let's see what happens. So eventually, I get to this creek, and it is flooded. It's like four feet deep, and I have nowhere to go because I can't go back this way because it's too steep and it's wet. So I, there's this little piece of land where the creek kind of splits. I'm like, I guess that's where I'm camping out tonight. But at this point, I am hopelessly lost. So I ford this creek and I get to this little dry land. I make my dinner and I get into a wet sleeping bag just as the sun sets. And I'm just like, this is where I die. Like, this is where my life ends. I'm not going to freeze to death, but you know, like local Raleigh man wanders in Pisgah for 30 days and his body's found. So I go to sleep and, uh, about 12, I start to hear all these animals kind of rustling beside me. Now, 
Looking back, what, raccoons probably, but your mind starts playing tricks on you. I'm like, these are black bears. Do we have grizzlies? Is that a polar bear? I think it might be. And I started thinking, what if I like accidentally walked through a fence and I'm in like one of those wildlife, like Tiger King in Appalachia. Like what if like a Siamese tiger comes and eat, or what if a worker from Tiger King comes and meet, which is even worse, right? So I'm having all these nightmares, but 3 a.m. I finally fall asleep and I'm like, I've never been this lost. This is how I die. This is gonna be horrible. So I go to sleep. I wake up the next morning as the sun kind of comes over the mountain. I make my breakfast and I kind of see this path that goes up this this high point where I can kind of get my view of the land and get my bearings. So I start making my way there. And as I'm kind of climbing up this trail, I hear some rustling and I hear some humming. And I'm like, I'm saved. I'm saved. So I, I make it up this trail and I'm like, I got, I got vines all over me. I'm sweaty. I'm stinky. I'm soaked from the night before. And I'm like bewildered. And there's this sweet little teeny tiny 60 year old park ranger. And she's like, did you just kill someone and you're running away? But she said, honey, you are so far off the trail. What were you doing? I'm like, I don't know. So in her kindness, she says, okay, I know exactly where we are. Here's a map that will actually work. Here's a compass. Make sure you don't forget that next time. And she guided me to the over that I was trying to get to. She said, once you get there, here's how you get back to your car. So she guided me back to safety. Who knows? If it wasn't for her, I would still be in that park today. Who knows? But I tell that story uh, because last week and this week, uh, we've been looking at not what God did that first Christmas, but what he started. And we said last week that there's a tendency, especially as Christians, to look back at that first Christmas, what happened 2,000 years ago, and memorialize something that happened in the past uh, that was really meant to revolutionize the future. And we said that Christmas, it's not an end in and of itself. It was the start. It was the beginning of something that would turn the world upside down, the start of something that you and I are feeling the effects of even today. And last week, we talked about the first force, the first kind of movement that Jesus brought down with him, and it was this ocean of grace where wave after wave has been washing over the world, and the world's never been the same since. We still experience that grace even today. Well, this week, I want to talk about a second force. I want to talk about a second movement that God unleashed on the world all those years ago, a force that is still making eternal impact today, but it's going to take me a while to get to that. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter one. We were there last week and I told you I loved John's rendition of the Christmas story. In Matthew and Luke, that's where most people read out of it. Uh, You get the shepherds, you get the angels, you get little baby Jesus, you get all the, the details. But John tells this Christmas story like a poet, like an artist. And so he says uh, in verse 14, he describes that first Christmas as grace kind of moving into the neighborhood. We read this last week. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Grace came down and moved into the neighborhood. But John uses a different but an equally powerful metaphor earlier in the chapter. And it's not the metaphor of grace. It's this metaphor of light. Read with me in verse one. He says, this is what the first Christmas was like as well. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life and the life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John says that's what the first Christmas was like. Instead of grace coming down, it's light coming down. It's this picture of Jesus coming and taking on human flesh and into a dark world just shining this brilliant light. He said that first Christmas is like God going into a dark room and just lighting a candle and illuminating this shadowy world that we live. And if you're familiar with, uh, with the New Testament authors, or if you grew up in church, which is like 10 of you, uh, you will realize that Jesus talks about this often. He actually identifies himself as light. He says in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says, yeah, that's my mission. That's why God sent me to illuminate this dark world, to show people the path to God that had been hidden. Like that park ranger showed me the path home, showed me the trail that led to safety. That's what God, that's what Jesus did when he was on earth. But what I want to show you today is that God's plan was never just to have one light in this world. That God's plan and his strategy was never just to have one flame kind of burn brightly for 30 some odd years when Jesus was here and then leave with him, leave us in darkness, leave us on our own to figure out how to get to the source of life. That God's plan was actually always to fill every single dark corner of this world with that light, with more and more lights until Jesus returns. And the crazy thing that we see in the Bible is that God's plan to do that, God's plan to fill this dark world with all these tons of lights, his plan was to use you and I. His plan was the church. See, after Jesus told his disciples, I am the light of the world, he actually turns to them and said, that, that's, that's my mission. That's part of why I'm here. And now I'm going to give you that mission as well. He says this in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Jesus said, this is my task here, and when I leave, I'm giving you this task as well. In fact, Jesus prays for this on the night before he dies. He actually prays for God to empower us to accomplish this mission of being lights in the world the evening before the crucifixion when he's in the garden. It's so cool that John gives us insight into this private conversation between Jesus and his father. But in that conversation, he says this, I have given them, that's you and I, your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And here's our verse that I want to hang out on for the rest of our time. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. He says, Father, I know this is a crazy idea. And as dangerous as it might seem, I ask that you do not take my sons and daughters, my brothers and sisters out of this world, even though it hates them, even though it's a dangerous place because it is a dark world and it needs the light more than ever. So instead of taking them out, would you fill them with the same light that I have? And would you send them back into the world to illuminate the world, to show people the path to you, to spread that light to more and more people? And the crazy thing that we see in the rest of the New Testament is that God heard that prayer and he said, yes, 
I'm going to honor your request. That's exactly what I'm going to do. And what we see later on in the New Testament is that that one little light of Jesus, it spread to 11 or 12 men, his disciples. And then after Jesus ascended into heaven, that light spread from 12 people to 120 men and women in an upper room praying the night before Pentecost. And the very next day, that light of 120 men and women, it spread to 3,000 people in Acts chapter 3. And historians tell us that those 3,000 lights, that turned into 10,000 lights, 10,000 Christ followers by 100 AD. And it was 200 Christ followers by 200 AD. And it was 6 million little lights by 300 AD. And now surveys tell us there's at least 2.6 million Christ followers, 2.6 little lights in the world. And that number is growing rapidly every single day. So 2,000 years ago, during that first Christmas, after that first light came, we can look around and see that God has really created this constellation of little specks of light that he's just kind of blanketed this dark world in. Just as Jesus was the light, so we are the light. Just as God sent Jesus, so Jesus sends us. Have you ever, have you ever let that, that hit you? You ever felt the weight of that? Because that has huge implications for how we do life. Like, do you believe that that's true? Do you believe that just as God sent Jesus, he has sent you? Or more importantly, do you live as if it's true? That's the question. You know, I, I grew up working at a summer camp kind of near Pisgah in the mountains. Love the mountains. And uh, we would do multiple camps per year. So some for young kids, middle schoolers, high schoolers. And the craziest day during summer camp is day one. And it's not because all these lovely children kind of descend upon the campground. It's because their parents come with them. And they get to see where they're dropping off their little spoiled bratty kids for the next seven or 10 days. And so as a camp staff, you got to go into overdrive to clean up because it's crazy what happens to a campground after seven days of middle schoolers, all right? So you got to get the rusty knife out of the playground. Like how in the world did that get here? So you would go into overdrive just trying to pick up. Well, one of these days, it was drop off day. I was driving a golf cart and I was going to one area that I was over. And I noticed on the cart path, there was this empty, there was this open bag of cement right in the middle of the road. And I drove by it and I'm like, they, they should really pick that up. Like that's a driving hazard. If it rains, it's gonna make a mess. Like someone should, should take care of that. So drove by it, kind of did this over here. Then I had to go back to get some supplies and I drove back and I'm like, that cement bag is still there. They should really do something about that. Like they gotta get that out of the road. So I go grab my tools and then I drive by that cement bag the third time and I had one of the biggest realizations of my life. I had this huge aha moment. I don't know if it was the spirit or what, but I just had this thought, I am they. I am they. Like if I don't pick that bag up, no one else is, it's my job to make this campground clean. I shouldn't say they should pick that up. I am they. So I picked up that concrete bag. And honestly, I've taken that aha moment to all these different areas. It's how I parent. It's how I pursue ministry. I am they. But, but have you had that same aha moment when it comes to the darkness and the brokenness in this world? Like I remember so clearly when God called me to plant a church. Um, 
Uh, uh, people had been encouraging me for years to think about it. Some people had been discouraging me for years to think about it, so I didn't know and go this way or that way. Uh, but I remember uh, me and Jenny were kind of seriously talking about it, and I didn't know if that's what God was calling me to do with my life. And so, uh, but I was on a trip to go visit my parents in Georgia. And so I was driving from Raleigh to Georgia. I was in the car. I think Jenny and the girls were asleep. I had some worship music on. And for some reason, I started noticing how many apartment buildings and townhouses I was passing. And I drove for about 30 minutes, and I'm like, man, there's so many. It's apartment building and townhouse and neighborhood and apartment building and townhouse and neighborhood. I just had this thought, like I'd never had it before. That's so many people. And all of those people represent an eternal soul that's going to spend an eternity somewhere. And I just had this thought, how are these people ever going to hear about the incredible love that their heavenly father has for them if there is not a good, healthy, gospel-proclaiming church filled with people that can go to those apartment complexes and go to those neighborhoods and go to those townhouses. And I, for the first time in my life, I just felt the weight. I, I felt the, the burden of the lostness of the people that I was driving by. And it was that moment that I said, all right, I'm in. And so we went to a city that desperately needed a church, and, and we started one. But have, have, you, have you felt that? Have you had that realization? Like you look around at our world, at the fatherless kids, at the marriages that are falling apart, at peoples whose lives are literally unraveling because of anxiety or hopelessness or addiction, and the means by which God has chosen to bring them the light, to show them the way out, it's you and me. A friend of mine says, it's not that the church has a mission it's that God has a mission to fill this earth with light, to light up every single dark place. And that mission of God, it happens to have a church. See, the church is God's plan A for the world, and there is no plan B. We are sent. We are sent. Just like Jesus was sent to the world, we're sent. If people are going to find their way, it's going to be through us. And that's a heavy thought. But I think in my experience, when you hear that, you can, you can kind of lean too far in one or two ways. Like growing up, I grew up in the church. I know I'm the minority here, but I grew up in the church. And uh, I kind of heard the opposite. Maybe it was unintentional. But I kind of heard from my pastors and my preachers, hey, the world's kind of an evil place, and it's dangerous, and they don't like you. You kind of need to stay out of there. If you grew up in church, maybe you've heard this before. You complete the sentence, hey, as a Christian, you need to be in the world, but not of the world. Yeah. And they got that out of the prayer that we just read in John. But the thinking was, I think the underlying assumption was, hey, if you got to be in the world, just kind of suffer through it. You know, if you got to go in there for a job or something, that's fine. But just get in there and get out and make sure that you're not tainted or you're infected by the darkness. And I get that thinking a little bit. Like, we got to be very careful about falling into old habits after we start following Jesus. But that's backwards from what Jesus says in his prayer. And what John says in John chapter 1, see, darkness doesn't taint the light. Darkness doesn't overcome the light. It's light that dispels the dark. It's light that overcomes the darkness. No one in this room has ever been in a bright room in the middle of the night and said, man, it's too bright in here. Let's open up the blinds and let the darkness in. That's not how it works, right? That's backwards. It's the opposite. 
So Jesus says, hey, that's a valid concern, but I want you to be more concerned with bringing your light into the world. Be less concerned with the darkness of the world getting into you and be more concerned with the light that I've given you and taking that into a dark world. Paul talks about this in Philippians. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Listen, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as stars in the world, as lights in the world. Paul's saying, don't stay out of the world. God's going to protect you. You need to get in there. And show them how powerful the gospel is to transform lives. So we don't want to stay out of the world, but we also don't want to go to the opposite extreme as well. Because there are some people who know, yeah, I'm sent to the world. But they don't see themselves as light. They see themselves as like an army sent to defeat an enemy, right? They have this us versus them mentality. They don't, they don't rush out of the world. They rush into the world, but they go with fists to flying, right? They're like, Jesus has sent me to kick butt and chew bubble gum, and I'm all out of bubble gum. Like, I am in the Lord's army. And you can tell there's just this, this offensive kind of nature to them. But Jesus says, listen, the world, the people outside the church doors, they're not our enemy. You have an enemy. His name's Satan. You got to watch out for him and God's going to protect you. But the people out there, the people of this world, that's who you once were. There are our lost brothers and sisters. The world's not to be feared and it's not to be fought. We're, we're to go as a search party to it. You see, we're meant, we're meant to, to, uh, to shine, not to blind. We're sent to shine, not to blind. The light that we have is not to be shown in people's faces, but to illuminate their path. Let me say it another way. We're meant to be a light, not to prove that we're right. See, we shine our lights not by saying this is how bad you are, but rather this is how powerful the gospel of Jesus is, that it could transform and heal someone as broken as me. You see? See, we're sent out of love. That's the motivation. It's always love. The motivation is never to win an argument. It's not to prove that they're wrong and you're right. The motivation is love because we are sent just as God sent Jesus. And what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. He says, for at one time you were darkness. You were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In Ephesians 5, it's known as the walk chapter. Paul says, walk in light, walk in wisdom, walk in holiness. But all of that is under this big banner. And it's in the first verse. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's the motivation. And the world can spot the difference, can't they? That park ranger, she didn't look at me and say, man, you're dumb. Like, you're an idiot. Hiking without a compass? You almost got yourself killed. You're what's wrong with hikers nowadays. No. She said, you're lost and confused, and you need some help. And I know the way out. I just so happen to know the way out. Let me help, right? The motivation was love. And the last thing I want to point out is that we are sent to be a guide. 
I was listening to a sermon by Louis Giglio. Um, I went to youth camps with him growing up and stuff, and he's talking about this idea. I never thought about this before. It actually is in the verse we just read in Ephesians 4. At one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And maybe you've never thought about this before either. Do you know why God has chosen to send you to the world? Like you personally. Maybe you've asked that question. Why me, Lord? <laughs> I'm not very good at small talk. I don't like praying in front of people. I can't explain the gospel. Why? I'm not the right person for the task, but you are. You know why God has chosen to send you to the world? It's because there is a particular type of darkness that you were once in. And because of Jesus, you're not there anymore. Now, you haven't fully arrived, but you're not where you once were. Like, like you were trapped in a certain darkness. Maybe it was pride. Maybe it was addiction. Maybe it was a failed marriage. But now, because of Jesus, you're not there anymore. You know what that means? It means you know the way out. It means you know the way out. You found the trail that leads back to safety. You know the roadmap back home. Listen, there is not a single type of darkness that people are, are trapped in out in the world. I mean, we could make a list. Addiction, hopelessness, depression, pride, abuse, poverty, failed marriages, prodigal children, cancer, joblessness. There's not a single type of darkness out in the world in which someone in this room right now or at our campuses or online has not been there before themselves. Like if I went around the room right now and said, hey, just raise your hand if anyone has ever been trapped in the darkness of alcoholism. Like hands would just go up, they would. Say so anyone in this room or watching online or at one of our campuses that know about the darkness of divorce, hands would just go up. If I said, hey, if you've ever been in the darkness of depression, just raise your hand. Hands would go up all across the room and we could go on down the list and we'd find someone right now in this room or watching online that had been in every single type of specific darkness that you find people out in the world trapped in. And because of the amazing grace and kindness of Jesus, you know the way out. And that's why God wants to use you. That's how God wants to use you to be a light. Listen, you don't need any special training. You don't need a ministry degree. You know what you need to be a light in the dark world to show people the way to Jesus? All you need is a broken past and an experience with Jesus' grace. And we all have that, don't we? That's how God wants to use you. That's the movement that God started 2,000 years ago. And it's so cool to see it still in motion today. I was having a conversation with a couple just yesterday. By the way, if we ever have a cool conversation during the week or after service, there's a high probability you're going to be in my sermon, but I won't use your name, okay? But I was having this conversation with this couple that just loves hope and wants to get on board with uh, furthering our ministry efforts. And so uh, we hung out with them over at our offices. And uh, as soon as they walked in, I just liked them. They were just real. I was like, well, tell me about yourself. They're like, we've been at Hope for a while, and um, we have some dark pasts. And we both had marriages fall apart, and a lot of it was our fault, and uh, we were just in darkness. And somehow we were both kind of led to hope, and uh, we found Jesus. And God's put the pieces back together. We're not perfect right now, um, but we just want, we want other people to know about that. <laughs> 
we want to play a part in people finding the hope that we found in Jesus. And the wife started talking and she said, I have this really cool job where I get to sit with customers for a long period of time. And uh, it's so cool because I just start talking about all the areas that I used to fail in and struggle in and all the areas that I'm struggling in now. And they open up and I'm like, hey, I used to struggle with that or, or maybe not that particularly, but what about this? And they get into these conversations. And she said, it's so cool because I've gotten to point like, tons of people to the Inside Out series, like where you talked about anxiety and anger, and now the marriage series, that's a big struggle for people. But, but you just see this person who came out of darkness and now is in light, she's going back into the darkness and showing people the way. I think of people like, like Steve, who's our bass player. You probably see online most weekends. You see him at some of our campuses. He's a handsome bald kind of muscly guy. But uh, he shared his story on video before. He said that I could share it, but he has a history with addiction, with alcoholism. And uh, just talking with him a few months ago, he's involved in small groups with men that are struggling with addiction, with alcoholism, with drug abuse. And that's the picture that Jesus is giving. That's someone who came out of a dark place because of the grace and the beauty of the gospel is now going back into that place and helping people find a way out. I think about every single time a few weekends ago, we did all those statistics. We were celebrating what God did. I got to that mend, that men ministry stat. And I just teared up because four of the former participants, it's a ministry that helps female abuse victims, former abuse victims kind of find hope and healing. Four of the leaders this go round were leaders, uh, were participants themselves. And that's a crazy thought, to go through the pitch black darkness of abuse and to finally find the hope and healing and the light of Jesus and then to go back into that darkness, that's a sacrifice. To hear stories like the story that you had, to kind of relive those memories over and over again, but they're doing it because they found the light and they're going into the dark world and they're helping people find the path to hope, the path to Jesus and the path back home. That's what Jesus started 2,000 years ago. And I know what you're thinking. Right now, this is kind of hitting you and you're like, I never thought about this. Man, I am sent. One of the first questions that you always ask is, to where? <laughs> Like, who am I sent to? Who are the people? What's the ministry? Like, you're plotting and you're planning. Here's the good news. I want you to start right where you are. If God's plan was to fill this universe with just a constellation of these lights, if God's plan was to use us to bring people trapped in darkness into the light, it is no accident that you live where you live. It's no accident that you work where you work that you drive by that same crossing guard every single day when you drop your kids off or pick them up from school. It's no accident you have the side hustle that you do or that you stand beside the same parents at soccer games and football games. Those are the people that you are sent to. And I would bet you all the money in the world that there is someone in your life right now, and you might not know it, but they are trapped and struggling with the exact same darkness that you came out of. And what God wants you to do is help them find their way home. Be a light. As God has sent me, so I'm sending you. Be intentional about this. Have some conversations with the people in your life, and I guarantee God will move in a big way. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Man, these verses I have heard tons of times, but there's so much depth and there's so much truth. Father, thank you that you did not leave us in our darkness. 
And Father, I pray that you would use us to rescue others, not because we're better, not because we've arrived, not because we've figured out. We're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. So Father, would you use us for your name and your glory, especially this season. That's in the beautiful and matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.